Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Ruth Davies. Ruth is the president of the National Association of Head Teachers. She's currently the head teacher at Wayne Arloyd Primary School, a medium-sized school located in the beautiful Gower Peninsula in Wales. Ruth read English at University College Wales and since 1986 has taught in two separate schools before moving into advisory work in literacy with the local authority school improvement team. Her heart was always in the classroom though, so after four years, she moved back into school as a deputy head teacher and became head teacher in 2004. Ruth has supported schools across the region through brief periods of secondment and as a trained Eston peer inspector, she's worked with schools across Wales. Ruth passionately believes in the role the public sector in general has to play in advancing the interests of children and their families and in the role of education in particular. Ruth was on the Standards Committee for UNICEF and she's been invited to sit on the monitoring board for Random House and Penguin Books, soon to be launched award for Literacy in Colour. And she's on the advisory group for the Education Policy Institute, where they've recently started a new project comparing levels of educational progress and policy choices across the UK. Ruth, you're a busy woman. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Really good to be with you this morning. Well, there is so much we can talk about, but I wonder if you could just start, Ruth, as the president of the National Association of Head Teachers, can you just start by painting a picture of how things are now? We, we have a big audience of people around the world, so I'm sure they'd be interested to hear how things are currently in the UK as we record this in February 2021. Well, as I prepared to take up my role as president uh, a little over a year, well, yes, a little over a year ago now, who could have predicted how 2020, uh, rolling into 2021, was going to map out. And it's been a year like none other. And <clears throat> the pressures upon our school leaders and upon the teams that they have led um, have been phenomenal. And they have brought, they've broached the, the boundaries of our teaching and learning skill set and having enforced really a new set of skills to be explored and taken on in order to meet these unprecedented demands. Um, I think if the pandemic, if the period of crisis has taught us anything, it's taught us how central schools are to their communities. Schools have literally held those communities together. At times they have ensured that the children have been fed, that the families have homes to live in, um, and clothes to wear at times, and all at the same time, while still maintaining a commitment to our core business, as I said, of progress through teaching and learning. I was speaking with Sinead McBerity, and she's the, the CEO of the Education <coughs> Support Charity. And the, the research in the Teacher Wellbeing Index of 2020 showed that 59% of head teachers had considered leaving the profession in the last 12 months. As you say, we're living through an extreme and sustained mm. era of pressure. What do we do to address this very high pressure that head teachers are working under at the moment? High pressure, indeed. And I think one of the most important things we have to look towards as, as school leaders, we take the res our responsibility towards our teams and to the wider community very, very seriously. We take our responsibility for everybody else's well-being extremely seriously. Sometimes we need to be reminded 
to take our own well-being just as seriously as we take everybody else's. It is unsustainable to continue to look after everybody else's well-being when your own remains a little impoverished. I think as school leaders, we're fixers by nature. We tend to soldier on and we, we put a brave face on every morning because we understand that we really are the mood makers for our environments and our learning settings. And sometimes we do that to the long-term detriment of our own health and our own well-being. And we sometimes need to be brave enough to acknowledge the fact that this is no longer, even if it ever were, it, this is no longer a one-person job. And to look for help and to acknowledge the need for help is not an acknowledgement of failure. It's actually an acknowledgement of being brave enough to take that next step. Ruth, for people that are listening to this thinking, what could I do? What would really help me? Do you have some practical ideas that you do yourself, perhaps, or that you've seen help your team or others? Well, well-being is certainly impacted by by three things, really, past history, outlook and attitudes. Now, perhaps we'll come back to the past history later on, and perhaps there's less we can do about that. But there is a lot we can do about the last two, the outlook and the attitude. And I'm forever saying that um, an inclusive school, a happy environment, a productive environment, an environment that focuses on the importance of well-being at its heart, um, it's not so much about what we do, it's about focusing on who we are and who we aspire to be. And I think within that context, building communities isn't something that can happen overnight. Building a community with well-being at its heart that is successful in the way it looks after each other isn't something that we can suddenly aspire to achieve overnight. It's not so much a tick boxes exercises mm. in terms of what can be done or strategies, although undoubtedly the world is full of those. You only have to look on the internet to get an idea of um, you know, the different techniques and different suggestions. But it's getting back to the root of being in an environment where ultimately you want to be. Yes. And you want to build an environment that others want to turn up to every day. And that's your long-term strategy. So to have that well-being, you have to first of all feel safe which is why having an inclusive uh, setting is so important and integral to the whole provision of a setting um, that, that basically makes people happy, makes people want to be there, that they feel safe. And we know that whether you're speaking about adult uh, teaching teams or the children themselves or the families, if they feel safe and they feel valued, then everything else tends to roll as a matter of progress, mm, not mm -hmm. rocket science thereafter. We know the children function better when they feel secure, when they feel safe and well cared for. And we're the same as adults. And I yeah. think sometimes school leaders need to apply to their own well-being the conditions that they apply to others. Mm. The role will always have those periods of stress because as a school leader, typically you will daily, weekly, monthly be asked to deal with new scenarios that you've not had to apply solutions to before. So it's about not removing us from the stress, but knowing how to deal with this, those stressful occasions when they occur. And I think if you are dealing with those stresses and those challenges within a context where you feel valued, and that's as important for a school leader as any other member of the team, where you feel valued and secure, then you will emerge into um, the, making those choices with a mindset that reminds you, you've got the choice about this. This isn't a, this isn't a challenge. This isn't a choice that's being done to you. This is something that you're choosing to be part of. This particular challenge is something you've chosen to be part of. And I think it's all about taking back control. 
And as I said, you know, in terms of the mindset and building up that attitude and the outright outlook, you then enable yourself to function in terms of having your well-being catered for because you feel actually this is something I choose to do. And there's a lot to be looked at then and explored further in terms of this idea that um, school leaders function better when they feel that they have the opportunity to apply their own creative solutions to, to tasks and scenarios and that knowing that they have the full support of an outward looking governing body and trustee board as well at the same time. When you say take back control, in that context, Ruth, are you talking about taking back personal control or are you looking at a wider systemic approach? If I come back to taking control, thinking of through the, the issue of taking control of our particular roles and functions, mm. um, I think there's been for too long almost like a silent message that permeates through the profession that there's always someone somewhere doing it better than you are. Now, that mm. seems to be the voice in the cloud that we function under as school leaders. Now, no one ever tells you who that person is or where it's happening, but there is this sometimes um, salient threat that you're not as good as you could be and there is someone doing it better. Now, undoubtedly, none of us, all of us are work in progress. None of us have ever reached the point where we are as good as we can be. But this about, it's about applying a value to that process and not a threat, the process of developing in order to do things better today than we did them yesterday is, is human and is part of the human condition. And I think for too long, perhaps we've functioned under this threat that not getting things right and getting things right straight away is somehow a failure. Well, we know it's actually part of the human condition, which is to move towards continual progress and evolution and so forth. And so I think in, take, in terms of taking back control, um, I think it's about coming back to that mindset, which I mentioned earlier, in establishing within ourselves a confidence and a mindset to the towards the fact that actually, in order to find the perfect solution, I first of all have to make a series of mistakes maybe, but those mistakes are then a necessary part and in order to do that, then we have to ensure that we have control of the process and that we're not functioning under the threat of, of some punitive measure should we not find the ideal solution immediately. Yes. And I think in taking back control and we understand, you know, as I said, that idea that actually we are quite skillful at this business. And I say this so often to, to colleagues and often to younger colleagues, you'd be surprised how much you've know, you already know. You need to draw within yourself and have that confidence sometimes to listen to the inner voice. And yes, obviously, this isn't to, this isn't about breeding an arrogance so that you go forward not thinking you ever need any help. Quite the reverse. Yeah. But I think as you build within yourself an acceptance and an acknowledgement of the skill set you already have, that itself then not just builds your own confidence, but it also builds a stronger um, hunger for whatever the next step holds. So that next step then becomes something you aspire to rather than something you fear. So coming back to the issues, the small steps we can take in terms of protecting our own well-being, surely it is about, first of all, accepting that we are human, that we will make mistakes and mistakes are part of the natural process. But the mistakes are not there to be feared. They're actually there to be embraced because what we want to see is that successful next step. Taking back control means for many school leaders, reminding ourselves again of the skill base that we already draw upon, which is considerable. Mm. And so many times, we if, I think if anybody listening into this podcast now could just list the skills that they just drew upon today and yes. yesterday <laughs> and last week. Yeah. 
and you try and you try and find another job that would need to combine all that skill set in one go in one day for and and then apply them to such a range of circumstances um school leaders are very good at building up the confidence of others of building their team's confidence and building their team's capacity to embrace change and development they're not so kind on themselves sometimes when it comes to appreciating the skill base and the the skill sets that they bring to their settings and as i said those skill bases and the extent of those skill bases quite remarkable absolutely and never seen more widely and and more impressively than yes. than this year it's been quite extraordinary so you alluded to something there ruth about high stakes accountability in the ability to make mistakes and to learn from them and grow and that's ideally what we like to see in schools anyway for young people and teachers and leaders but there is this kind of quite heavy threat i've worked in personally worked in hundreds of schools doing training uh, all over the country and the biggest single fear inducer <laughs> i see in schools is the threat of inspection and i've read and i've watched things that you've talked about ruth as the president of the naht what do you think of high stakes accountability now now that it's been largely paused what can we do now to review that to improve that going forward well i think i don't think there's a school leader in the country that doesn't want to improve that doesn't look at yeah. the school they led yesterday and want it to be different tomorrow yeah. um our hunger for change our hunger for improvement is what brought us into the role in the first place um and accountability is part of 21st century uh, public sector working we accept that yes of course we need to be held accountable because the the job and the role that we undertake are important ones we take our responsibility not just to our teaching teams our school teams but to the communities the wider communities that we serve and we lead we take that responsibility very very seriously so should we be challenged yes of course should we be challenged that the provision we're making and the provision that we continue to plan for is the best it can be yes of course um and that so in terms of that level of accountability we understand that but the high stakes accountability is contributing nothing to that sense of progress and development i would say that 21st century schools leaders have found a way to develop their schools and the progress within their schools in spite of and not because of it it's crushing us because what it forces a school leader to do is to towards that idea that we have to get things right and we have to get them right straight away now we know that the very best school leaders just as our on our teaching staff our very best teaching staff are the creative ones now when we come into leadership we want to be able we come into leadership because we have a certain amount of of creativity within the way we function and we want to be given the chance to apply creative solutions to different scenarios what we know is that schools are not franchises it's not a one size fits all approach and our schools need to be responsive and continue to be responsive to their changing communities now in order for to to be responsive and in order to lead that continuous improvement head teachers and school leaders and school leadership teams need to be afforded the opportunity to explore solutions and so in terms of school leadership moving forward what our school leaders need to be able to do and where they are happiest and where their well-being is best preserved is where they afforded the confidence and the trust to move forward with their teams and to sometimes test out 
take the risks, take those measured risks in order to eventually arrive at a solution that they know and only they will know is the right one for their schools. Now, in the very best settings, trustees and boards of governors will support their leader to do just that. But where we have an overwhelming focus on high stakes accountability, measures we know actually as practised school leaders contributes very little to sustained improvement over the longer term. When we are forced to function under those very narrow remits of these high stakes accountability, then obviously that creativity is is deadened, Mm. but it also holds the the school leader back from exploring the art of the possible and exploring further the boundaries that they think could be achieved. And sometimes in order to push those boundaries, you need to be allowed to take risks. What potential do you think inspection bodies have to to be a a partnership for good rather than uh, being punitive as you described how could they support schools and in being these creative places that you just described well perhaps um and we have to remember that high stakes accountability is not just about offset. It's about it, it, there are a number of measures that fall yes. under this heading for instance some of the the national tests yeah. The phonics screening, the multiplication checks, all these additional burdens, which don't actually, you ask any school leader, any practice practice school leaders, don't actually contribute anything to the process of progress and development at all. Mm. Um, but I think if you take the fuller picture of those high stakes accountability of which you, you're right, Ofsted plays an important part, but it's not just about the inspection service. What we're actually perhaps viewing is a broken down understanding and a disconnect, if you like, in the shared understanding of what this business of teaching and learning is actually all about. You know, of what is, what is it that a school is about? Maybe before the pandemic, some parts of the the accountability um, community may have thought they were just about education. Well, if the pandemic, if the crisis has taught us anything, it's about how much broader our role is in terms of managing and supporting um, the, the care for our wider community. And I think in t- moving forward, you know, we have now the opportunity. We don't have to do things different this year. We need to be absolutely bold and, and honest in when we review the difference that has made pupils coming back just in September. Do we really not know anything that we didn't know before? And I think we have to be absolutely bold in our comparison between the accountability systems that have not operated this year and those that operated previously. And I think together we need to have a bold conversation about what value, what additional value, if any, those high stakes accountability structures actually contribute to the longer term plans for school leader to lead improvement and progress and development. As I said, we haven't needed those high stakes accountability measures this year and schools are progressing. Mm. We need to be clear that if we didn't need it this year, then do we ever need, do we need to ever return to the way things were? Could this not be a op- time of opportunity? Could this be the time that we collectively as an education community, and I'm thinking beyond just the school base, I'm obviously thinking of Ofsted teams and all considered, you know, right through to DfE, is this the opportunity for us to come together as a single team and to properly consider what it, what it actually takes for a school to progress and develop? 
And I think sometimes our high stakes accountability becomes too burdened down with trying to reduce very complex processes into the most accessible measures to be understood by those who don't normally have to undertake the job. Well, actually, our systems for accountability should be all about pro- helping our, our pupils make progress. Mm. If others outside the, the organisation don't understand that, then that's for them to upskill themselves. <laughs> but I think our accountability measures need to be very much focused on what the learner needs and not what an external body needs in order to make their assessment um, easier for them. Can you see what I'm saying there? I do. I do. And it sounds like a very exciting vision of the future of bringing these big organisations together to have a shared vision, especially after so many children through obviously no fault of their own, have not had the education that they would normally expect to have, you you know, for all kinds of reasons, for family reasons. But what do we do now to support and come together in that wonderful way that you just described? What are the next steps that would need to happen to allow that? Well, I think the next steps, you know, Maria, you'll have heard as much as I have recently, um, mention of the word, of the phrase catch up. Yes. And there was an obsession with this catch up as if it is something that can occur overnight or over a weekend. I've heard talk of Saturday schools as if that will make it all okay. So these children summer who, schools, have yeah. lost, who have already lost all their freedom for this year, lost all their other experiences, will now can, you know, that all of those problems can will be, I, you know, I think, compounded if you rob them of their further freedoms as we move towards yeah. a scenario where we're supposedly coming out of the, the crisis and the pandemic. And I think going forward, coming back to your question, what can we do going forward? Well, first of all, we have to have that true understanding and a, a true appreciation what, of what schools are about. And as I said earlier, if this crisis has taught us anything, it's taught us that we're about so much more than education. And I think going forward, we need to be understand of what sort of catch up these children are going to be in need of. They will have had grossly varied experiences yes. of lockdown. Yes. And coming back into school settings, provision for their well-being has to be the first mark on anybody's to do list. Mm -hmm. Because until we this isn't something we can do as an appendix, as an appendage, we can't just add this on afterwards. This is something we need to look at very closely before we begin anything else. And I think in terms of helping them come to terms with the lost experiences, the lost friendships, the broken down relationships, loss will have featured greatly in these children's experiences while they've been outside of school and first and foremost any catch-up has to be about how we repair that sense of loss and how we remind them again that they are back somewhere safe and secure and valued and until we get any all of that um, addressed then none of the other educational and academic progress can be addressed either. I worry less about the academic catch-up because Mm -hmm. that is what teachers do. That is our core business. We understand the process from which a child moves from knowing very little to knowing quite a lot. That is our core business. And we understand how that happens. And you know what? It will. And just because a child didn't learn a seven times table this year, it doesn't mean that they're going to reach adulthood without ever knowing it. (laughs) It will happen. Children are incredibly um, responsive to change and they are incredibly adaptable, but only if they feel secure. And I think what we need to do moving forward is to make sure that we we schools do it already. But we need to be sure that the organisations and other agencies that we work with uh, uh, apply and assign the same importance to well-being as it does to the, the raw scores on the doors. 
Mm. I'm less concerned about, as I said, about um, the academic progress and in terms of catch up, because I honestly believe we have schools full of skilled staff ready and waiting to achieve just that. I'm more concerned about the well-being deficit Mm. and making sure that we have plans as a nation to ensure that we focus first and foremost on making sure that these children are received back into schools and back into a new into their familiar routines with a focus on um, remedying the deficit then that will have occurred within their areas of well-being. And how does this sit then between your core business versus this compliance management? How do you square that circle? Well, I think if anything, you know, we have had a year of players management overload but I think in the years creeping up to it um, more and more responsibility has been laid at the door of the school leader and we've suddenly had to become health experts safety experts financial experts and every little bit of additional responsibility takes you away from your your core business which is teaching and learning and you know there's nothing like a man compliance management overload to suck the joy out of the job yes yeah we accepted as school leaders it is part and parcel but it's not what we came in to the role to do and I think every time an extra bit of compliance management is applied in terms of responsibility it takes you away from the opportunity to really explore that teaching and learning journey which is what actually fuels you um, every day this is what you want to turn up for you know, mm. I started off, but when you you asked me at the very start, what can we do to ensure our own well-being mm. is managed and monitored? Well, it's to do with attitude and it's to do with outlook. And our attitude and outlook is so often as a school leader conditioned by our ability to impact on teaching and learning progress and development. And every time you have your, your attention from that distracted to something else then obviously it applies that additional level of stress because you know you're being robbed of the opportunity to make the biggest impact in that area that you hold the greatest skill base for so Mm -hmm. it has been a tricky time and obviously you know in a time of crisis everyone pulls together and I'm not saying for a moment the last year you know the compliance management focus you know shouldn't have been there obviously the time of pandemic, the time of crisis called for school leaders to really um, have to focus on making sure their premises were safe, that their teams were safe, that the children were safe and so forth. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand that that has come as a cost and that has come as a, at a price as well. And as we allow school leaders to re-emerge as ultimately leaders of teaching and learning, then we need to perhaps uh, provide a level of, of support and going forward, a level of security and protection around them so that they, first of all, supported by other agencies with the skill bases that they need to draw on, but also that they afforded the time and space that are needed to now go back into their schools as we start to receive children back into um, the, the more standard um, learning settings. Then, And they need to be afforded the opportunity and the space, the mind space to to just focus on the business of teaching and learning and making sure these these pupils are happy and safe and well. And similarly, their teams. You know, I think for too long, we've we've treated the happy factor as being like a soft measure. Well, as first and foremost, we know, I mean, you know, you think of the the work settings that you, you, you contribute to, the work settings I contribute to. We know we're more productive on days when we feel happy, Absolutely. And included 
and part of a group that wants us to be there and part of a group that we want to be there. And I think so, you know, in terms of building this, you know, for too long, being happy in a setting perhaps has been treated as a soft measure. Well, actually being happy is the prerequisite for any further progress and development. And I think, you know, in terms of school leadership, we need to be allowed as we go into whatever the post-pandemic landscape looks like, we need to be afforded the time and the space to focus on our core business and to be allowed to ensure that we we go back to the business of building settings that are inclusive, that are happy, that celebrate diversity, all those extras that we know are actually central to the art of learning. Um, and really to have the other agencies that we've kind of alluded to um, that, that look on from the outside, if that they need to understand how absolutely central to any um, progress and development those, um, those well-being measures are. You've chosen to make equality and inclusion this year's president's focus. So can you tell us a little bit more about the organisations that you're working with to do that, Ruth? Yes, we've partnered up. Our um, chosen partnership, uh, charity partners this year um, is an organisation, quite a young organisation called Diversity Role Models. And they look to expand an awareness and appreciation and a celebration of all things diverse um, across our learning settings in particular. It's the simple message. It sounds, it sounds simple, but it is. You know, it's actually building learning settings that everybody, the teaching teams, the support teams, the caretaker, your, your kitchen staff, mm -hmm. as well as obviously your learners and their families just mm -hmm. want to turn up to every day. And building it within that, those structures, then clear messages about inclusion and diversity, it, again, are interlinked to any ambition for progress and development um, across the, the, the larger spectrum of teaching and learning. And how do you protect this space with that central ethos that you so beautifully just described? How do you protect that against these high stakes measures and, and pressures? What needs to, to change to, to get that more in balance? It comes from a confidence in leadership. And there is nothing like um, the threat of a measure that not only you don't understand, but that you know isn't that going to actually contribute anything to your school um, to really wobble you a little bit as a, mm -hmm. as a head teacher. We talked about compliance in terms of compliance management earlier. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that sometimes I think my colleagues are a little too compliant with those who know a lot less than them. And I think we just need to be bold. And by that, I don't mean arrogant. I don't mean an arrogance yeah. in terms of establishing a setting where we feel there is nothing new to learn. I mean, then, I mean about being bolder, about standing up for the values that we know are absolutely critical to the development of a safe and productive school setting. Ultimately, that's what we're all there for, to ensure that these children who are here today are better served than they might have been had they not come to us. You know, and they get one chance there. And when you come into our school and you you assess us, then you I you, I hope you get it. But if you don't, then that's your error, not mine. And we just need to be bolder about standing up for what we know to be right, and to be really bold as well about when we get it wrong, to be open to change as well. Yeah. And that's what that's where your teams um, are so important. You know, communication between the teams at all levels. So that there is that shared understanding and that, you know, you ask any school leader, particularly over the past year, what's one of the greatest um, 
areas of challenge in terms of building your own sense of well-being it's loneliness it's that feeling that I'm here the buck stops with me I have to make every decision well I think one of the main perhaps lessons that I've learned as I've grown through through headship is to actually the more I've allowed myself to let go and I'm not very good at that <laughs> I am a bit of a control fee, but the more I've let go and the more I've allowed other elements of the team to take control and to make decisions, um, it, it, it's helped me grow as a leader. It's helped me reduce my well-being because it's not all on me. It is that, but it, it also helps you build that shared vision of what your school needs to look like and of the values that you, you, you're looking to communicate and promote across your wider community. It's tricky and tricky answers I guess I am I'm sensing you know a lot of what I'm referring to is very nebulous stuff mm. and built into that nebulous stuff are undoubtedly key strategies that you can undertake as a staff you know well-being days you know partnerships group events and this so forth but none of that will make any difference if your core values and your ethos isn't properly settled and sorted and owned by all Yes, it sounds like a very, very important time to be doing that, Ruth. And just as we start to wrap up, I wonder if there's anything you'd like to add. We talked a little bit before we started about the impact of austerity policies on families and communities. Did you want to talk about that? Yes, I think that has impacted, hasn't it? Over the, we, as I said before, we, we do take our responsibility to our communities incredibly seriously. When I was taking some time to think of all the issues, all the things that cut across uh, a, a leader's sense of well-being. Well, we've touched on the unreasonable and punitive accountability structures and measures that are in place. We've talked about needing to, you know, the, the other challenge to your well-being is when you were continually asked to suddenly become an expert on an area that you, you perhaps don't know that much about. But the other aspect is definitely, as you say, within that sense of responsibility for the families, the pupils and their families who have been impacted, particularly over the last 10, 11, 12 years, however long, by austerity measures. Now, what austerity has done for many is reduced opportunity. And if school's about anything, it's about increasing opportunity. We talked about equality, equity of opportunity is absolutely the central premise for any any child's um, ambition. And I think in terms of managing opportunity for our pupils and their families, then um, a, a reduction in funding, a re reduction in opportunities, reduction in, in any activity um, has cut across our, our ability to ensure that every single child who comes into us leaves with exactly the same opportunities um, expanse as anybody else. And I think um, in rounding all of that off, I think one thing we have built an image of this morning is school leaders, I think, is a precious resource that needs to be nurtured and valued well, we do a lot of nurturing and valuing of others. But I think sometimes we need to be bold as leaders about who does the nurturing and valuing of us as well. And I think from that point of view, we need to be, as you know, we've touched on, as we broaden our ambitions out into the wider community and just really work so hard to make things better for our pupils and their families than they would otherwise have been. This is a very, very broad agenda and as school leaders, we need to know that we are well supported, that we are nurtured, that we are valued and we are well taken care of. 
by our governors or our trustees. And I think that needs to be a, you know, a conversation that sometimes needs to be challenging. Mm. Sometimes, you know, but, but I think in terms of school leaders, leadership, sometimes we shy away from those conversations. But I think as a school leader, we need to understand that we have a right to be valued and nurtured. And if that isn't happening, then we need those tough conversations with the very people who should be protecting us and supporting us in the way that they are. That feels like a wonderful place to wrap up, Ruth. Um, we, I could talk to you all day. Um, it's been wonderful. I've been speaking with Ruth Davies, the president of the National Association of Head Teachers. You can connect with Ruth on Twitter at Lindsay Ruth D, and I'll pop that in the show notes. The NAHT website is uh, naht.org.uk. Uh, any final words from you, Ruth, before we before we head off well I want to thank you for um taking the time to listen to my ramblings this morning uh, Maria (laughs) but I also want to extend um my thanks to everybody listening in whatever role and function they have occupied over the past year for the phenomenal lengths they've gone to to minimize the impact of the pandemic on others the way that people have thought of others you know and I'm thinking particularly of my school leader colleagues the lengths they have gone and um, to ensure that their communities have been protected from the sharpest end of the, 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 the crisis. And in so many instances, they will have done things that only they know about because that is the nature of the job. And I just want to um, extend my thanks, I suppose, to them and a knowing nod in the sense that uh, the community owes them a lot. And going forward, we will look back at this period of history and realise what a central role schools played. And right at the heart of that central role, of course, was the school leader. So I want to take the opportunity to thank my school leader colleagues across the country, across the four nations, in fact, uh, for their phenomenal leadership and work ethic over the last 12 months. Yes, I second that. It's been incredible. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.